Warning, the following podcast may contain language that some listeners may find offensive or confusing or intriguing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the 3v3 podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. You know, it, uh, it, it started, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, we were, we we're out there looking to see if we could, uh, you know, make some corrections and, you know, try and try and find some things to move. But, you know, we, we were having a tough time, you know, uh, find a, um, um, a trade partner out there for us. And, you know, it really sort of came down, you know, uh, to, 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 uh, Thursday night, you know, Jeff and I, uh, got on the phone with each other and started having some conversations and, you know, I mean, Ken Holland, what the hell? <laughs> That's literally how he just started this press conference. Um, the press conference is going on right now for the appeasement, the sacrifice, <laughs> Sarkeesian. I know uh, what what is the what it is what's the sort of adjective form of of circus when applied to an organization. Um. Usually it's Toronto, but I don't think we can use that one here. No, we most certainly can't. Um, I'm just, you know, uh, he even looks, you know what the worst part is about Chris Knobloch? Hmm. He even looks like Dave Haxtell. Mm -hmm. I thought that too. He does. It's it's just it's disarming, Pat. <laughs> it was like when um, Manny Malhotra and um, what's his name in Washington, Spencer Cadbury, when they were on the bench uh, for the uh, Maple Leafs. Oh, it was wow. like, wait, who who's in charge here? <laughs> who's who? Or, or who is who? And, you know, obviously, I knew I could recognize Mel Holtra, but they look so similar. Same thing with Hackstall, and I think that's why he he grew grew that goatee when he was fired from Philly. And maybe he should grow something else to hide his face after last night's game. But hey, we'll get there later. Um, my mother, the now um, curious and and approaching diehard fan status. <clears throat> Um, was texting me about Saturday's game with the Oilers and the Kraken and, you know, Zach Hyman with the natural Hattie in the first and so forth. And I said, um, it was bound to happen. The Oilers were not going to stay that bad that long. They've been horrible at the season to the start, you know. <clears throat> and at some point, the dam was going to burst. And she said, but why did it have to be against us? Referencing, you know, her fandom as a Kraken fan. And I said, law of averages with Dave Haxtell is, is you're going to be that you are going to end up being somebody else's rebound team. <laughs> Cause that's just how Dave Haxtell coaches. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Dear God in heaven. I, uh, Ken Holland, dear, dear, dear Kenneth Holland, dear, sainted, fetid, whatever, Ken Holland, you should have fired yourself. And you should have also fired 
Dustin Schwartz. Dustin Schwartz has been the Oilers goaltending coach since 2014. Let me say that again. The Oilers goaltending coach since 2014. Mm-hmm. How is how he still he keep, there? Yeah, I was like, how does he keep like getting through unscathed? What what dirt does he have on people in the front office? that make him immune from being fired when the one position they continue to rail against is goaltending. And the only time they got really saved was by like a, you know, a a 41 year old AARP member, Mike Smith having a career resurgent year and Stuart Skinner having, you know, a breakout year last year. Does, does that warrant job, retention when you've had nothing but busts ever since and you can complain about quality of those guys you know they had cam talbot they rode him into the ground so by the time the playoffs were there he was burnt and then they ran him out of town because he didn't perform in the playoffs sounds like a pattern to me and the guy i have the answer Uh he's friends with paul coffee Mm-hmm. He's got to be more than friends with Paul Coffey. He's got to be friends with literally everyone else. And well, all it takes is one friendship, and it splinters. And I'm sure he's friends with you know Glenn Sather, if he even you know is allowed back in the, the the building. I'm sure he's friends with you know Ron Lowe. I'm, he's got to have something on Daryl Cates. Either that, or he like keeps such a way low profile that nobody actually like thinks about him when things come up. Well, the reason I said he was friends with with coffee in particular is I joked like five minutes <laughs> after Woodcroft's dismissal. Once word of that was becoming public, I asked you both in our group chat. It was like. So what does Paul Coffey actually do for the Oilers? Because a few weeks ago, the story was he was part of that um, intervention meeting where he came down and he was talking with the players, I guess, with Holland as well. And it just made me wonder, I was going to go look it up and see what his title with the organization was. Well, now it's assistant coach. (laughs) Well, now it's assistant coach. He was just and, time until he could get in on the bench. <laughs> and you know what? If, if if he's the one being critical, if he's putting the word in, you know, Kate's ear, and then I guess Jeff Jackson has to hear about it and Holland has to hear about it, you know what? Put up or shut up time. But he was essentially personal assistant, not, not to the general manager, not to the president. But to the owner and and governor himself. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, owner owner and chairperson. Which which leads me to believe, and Cassie, we've sort of touched on this too. I'm not so sure this was, you know, people are like, oh, this is McDavid LeBroning himself. I don't know about Mm-mm. this one. Mm-mm. I don't think it is. I think it's the, I want to save my job. And the only way to save my job is to prevent McDavid from being unhappy. So let's appease McDavid before he gets really unhappy. And therefore I lose my job. Well, so uh, let me paint this picture. Cause I don't disagree with either of you. It's Ken's Holland's decision to make the change, uh, but Jeff Jackson's decision to pick 
incoming coach only because Ken Holland's not coming back next year. Ken Holland shouldn't be here today. He may not finish the season at this point. <laughs> well, there's another executive at Edmonton who shouldn't be there anymore, but he's still under contract and still getting paid and quietly was replaced as president. No one talks about that. I think they're just keeping him on until that contract expires. Because for all I know, they're still play- they're still paying Dave Tippett too. Isn't Tippett working for the Kraken again now, though? You know, I think I so. And is that it? Yeah. And, and yeah, you know. I remember them doing a welcome back, Dave. Yeah, almost a while ago. Yeah. So they have the two life model decoys of a boring hockey coach. Each franchise now. That's hmm. flip. <laughs> I'll take yours. You take mine. <laughs> yeah. Every well, I mean, would you? Hey, if you're Seattle, would, wouldn't you want to take Jay Woodcroft right about now? Oh, you bet your bippy. I'd take him in a heartbeat. Good God. Um, Think about your audience for that question. <laughs> I know our audience. Yeah. They're either going to be like, who gives a, it's all goaltending problems, or they're like, yes, we agree. Or it could be both. It could be both, guys. Well, uh, apparently Hackstall ripped into the team at, at a practice this morning. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that had all the effect of a... Helium balloon. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that they totally didn't didn't tune him out on that. Mm, gosh, man, here's here, here is the sad thing about last night's game. So Woodcroft probably already knew his fate. He knew this was his last game. Edmonton did not play very well. They had a couple of good simple plays, and there were just enough defensive breakdowns. So that Mr. Former Maple Leaf could get his hat trick in the first period. Um, again, my, my, dear, my dear friend and who I turn to for some Edmonton Oilers news and scuttlebutt when Zach Lang captured Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson coming off the ice Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And Woodcroft mouthing, that's it. Or I, th- yeah. I, I think it was, I think we're done. And Manson going, yep. Um, and sure enough, after last night's game, someone was smart, had a camera on them as they were leaving the bench, and they looked like two dejected individuals. Which makes me wonder if something hadn't been said to them that they were going to make the move but not announce it until they were done with the road trip. So they wouldn't mm-hmm. have a um, a repeat of Gerard, Gerard Glant getting an Uber outside of the Climate Pledge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know I mixed. I'm, I mixed scenarios. I don't care. Look, he can't order a water taxi to take him anywhere of consequence. So, also, you can't get that. <laughs> Once you're on, once once you're on the island, man, you're you can hide. 
<laughs> you can go hide pretty damn quick. Okay. Okay. What you had to wear? And it's been it's now been zero days since there's been Washington geography talk <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Reset the hold on, hold on. <laughs> I am <laughs> this is the sound of me. And it's actually a quiet whiteboard, but I just changed uh, I, I just erased the one. We're back to a zero. <laughs> And I was the one that set it up. I know. I know. (laughs) I did this to myself. (laughs) Yeah, but if you can't can't entertain yourself, what have you got, right? (laughs) Which, which goes without saying, Edmonton had to do something differently, given the way they were just dismissed by Vegas in the playoffs. Did they? Every, I think they did. So why did they hire someone who was the junior coach of their star player if they're trying to do something differently? Haven't they done that already before? Something similar? I mean, we're talking about hockey and nepotism. I mean, the answer is yes. But can we remember which version right. or which scenario? I know. It all blurs together at this point. And and I need to ask, how does Glenn Gulletson survive? They didn't fire the entire he's got staff. D- he's got dirt on the flames, and that is somehow valuable? I, who knows? You know, it's like he's probably the second longest tenured coach on the Oilers now behind their goalie coach. Yeah, I kind of feel like they're just like, you know. Moving deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah, pretty much. Just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks with the full expectation in at you know, this next coming off season that they're just going to fire the hell out of everybody. And it doesn't really matter who they fire right now or replace right now. Or maybe it's just a case they don't have a suitable replacement available. So they're just sticking with who they have. Which, and I think I said this was going to start the dominoes falling. Um. I would fully suspect Lane Lambert of the Islanders is next and they could do worse than Jay Woodcroft, but I don't think I want to put Woodcroft in that situation. No. Um, Setting people up for failure. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think he wants, because I mean, that guy spent, you know, ages under Todd McClellan in San Jose and you know went with him to Edmonton and then broke out and you know went down to Bakersfield to do the Oilers of AHL and had a good run and you know earned his way back earned his way to be a head coach and left with a 640 winning percentage because they went 3 and 9 and 1 to start the season on a bad PDO bender. Um, yeah, this is, 
Jesus Christ, Ken Holland, man. You know, you talk about coaches that dine out on on legacy. You know, here's a guy that's been dining out on someone else's legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but enough about Mike Babcock. Um, <clears throat> oh, I was going to say Jimmy Devolano, but oh well, there's sure. That too. Oh no no no! It, and it wasn't Babcock. Let let's be clear. Uh, that was Nick Lidstrom. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Well, that is kind of dining out on someone else's legacy, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two things can be true. Yeah. Dining out on the Datsuk Zetterberg Lidstrom legacy. Um, yeah. Every time they pan to him in this press conference, I'm like, it's it's like Hackstall Jr. He it, it he he needs to do something. He needs to grow a full beard. He needs to do something because ever since they worked together in Philly, I couldn't get that out of my head. Because for the longest time, I wanted to see him hired with several different East Coast teams, maybe as like their AHL coach at first. Um before he made the jump I guess he didn't make the jump directly from Erie to Philadelphia Mm. several years back. And he was essentially passed over for the Rangers gig after working after Hex Hextall. Because remember, you got the Hextall Hextall connection. My God, this just wonder twin powers activate. But he left Philly, and then he went to the Rangers system, and he got the head coaching experience in pro. Not too unsimilar to Woodcroft's path. Like you were saying, Woodcroft went, he was hanging out with McClellan for forever and a day, right? And then he had one head coaching gig in the AHL, and then he was brought up to the big leagues. Well, as I've been saying with, like, teams and players and – making people fit and their styles work together. Same thing goes with coaches. Yes. Uh, if you can have the best team in the world, but if your coach is like, if, if your team is like built to run and gun and your coach wants a, you know, stripped down defensive game, you're screwed. <laughs> Everybody's screwed. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's like, It's, it's again, not pairing up the right people with the right people, you know? I think if you look at what McClellan is doing in Los Angeles, there's there's that astute coaching. Playing smart defensively, but not... but not being so overly concerned with it that it absolutely kills your offense. He's adapted to the players that he has to make it work for him. And a lot of coaches choose not to do that. Well, should we say all but one player, Patrick? (laughs) Yeah, there's that. Yeah. The $8 million third line center. God. And it's not the center's fault. (laughs) What a goat rodeo. 
Uh, but enough about the. My, I'm not going to rant about PLD. I'm not going to rant about PLD. I'm not going to rant about PLD. Save that for next year. Yeah, because <laughs> damn, the Kings did look very impressive against Vegas. And that was a heavyweight mm-hmm. game. Um, and then they lost. I was going to say, then they lost their former starter goalie last night. And a guy who's trying to be run out of town. I was just going to say, we can we can save your rant for a week that the NHL doesn't have something stupid going on, which, you know, might be a year and a half from now, but, you know, we'll see. A year and a half? You're being optimistic. <laughs> I sometimes have an optimistic streak in me. I, I'm sorry. Damn. <laughs> I thought that was my job. Yeah. Sure as hell isn't mine. We all share. We all share equally here, right? If you say so. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I can pretend. Yeah, we certainly can. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. The next two weeks, I think, are going to be very interesting. I think there's a couple more coaches that are probably be on the way out. So. Okay. So I have to ask, since you said other coaches, Lane Lambert. He's probably top of the list, but what about Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh? I think he has immunity. I think he had a reprieve because the Penguins have, like, what, a four-game winning streak right now? Yeah. Four and, or five games. And I also think he's got a little bit of immunity this year. Thank you. If he is on anyone's, you know, top five list of – Coaches on the hot seat, which will all be coming out since there's been a coaching change. First one of the season. It's it's just not there. No. I mean, I get I get there's disappointment, but I also... I, I'm not sure how... <laughs> I'm going to be dismissive of other people's feelings. My therapist would absolutely have a field day. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how actually like righteous and valid it is. You know, if a realist were to look at that roster, you'd look at their their current play and you'd look at their record and go, yeah, it's about right. You know? Yeah. You look at San Jose, there's no reason to do anything differently. Like, it's, it's roster construction. It's not composition, even though I'm not the biggest David Quinn fan. He can do just enough to make them worthwhile, but they're just flat out bad, and we we knew this. Everyone in the well, I think yeah. I think that I think there's going to be a number of teams that like San Jose that know that they're bad and they're going to be bad and they're not going to change anything because the cap's going up next year. You know, so everyone again, hope is a plan in the NHL. <laughs> They don't actually plan, plan. They they just hope for the best, and um, <clears throat> and they're just going to wait it out and see what how how much room they're going to have with the cap next year to try to make some moves and try to like fix things because God knows people don't actually, I don't know, you know, develop players. <laughs> we know Edmonton doesn't develop goaltenders. Yeah, a lot of teams don't. 
How they did it again? I said, except for Nashville. Why the Quebec Major Junior League fell out of favor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. Both, seriously, on both counts. <laughs> All right. DJ Smith in Ottawa? No. I think there's been too much turmoil. And I don't, I actually think they have been playing <sighs> better. Like in their losses, it's not. Maybe they're going to wait and see, let the dust settle. I think they got to ride hit, ride, just let him coach out the season and then make the change. Like where Edmonton is going to run into their problem is it wasn't. They're going to let the dust settle. There there was a coaching problem. I think Woodcroft tried to change too much. Everson and Minnesota. And I think that would be the same thing. That thank you. That was the name I was hoping you would go to. They just made that very random. Let's trade a young. I don't think that's like. I think it's going to be what did the what does Minnesota do in the next ten games? How much does um, Zach Bogosian have to play? What what are his minutes? We lose Pat. Uh, I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so I was like, "Wait, Pat, you would usually chime in right yeah. there." Um, I think Buffalo's going to wait it out for a couple more months. I think, but you know, January, mid-January is when they're going to pull the trigger if they're going to do okay. that. And your favorite, John Cooper. Oh, he's not going anywhere for fear of what team nabs him in that same like conference. Well, that's part of the thing with like Tampa with Bruce Boss. He doesn't want to let Cooper go because he knows that Cooper's going to have success with the next team that he ends up with, and he doesn't want that guy to end up in the in the same conference as Tampa. So, <laughs> so he's gonna he's gonna ride that one out until he absolutely can't anymore. <laughs> Or until his assistant gets hired by another team. The only ones I can really think of. I mean, I don't see. Maybe Nashville could be a wild card. Columbus isn't doing anything. Pittsburgh is. I don't think Pittsburgh's doing anything. Philly's not doing anything. Um. God, I think the darkest of the dark horse might be New Jersey. Mm. See, I, I kind of think that this, so this is the first round of, of firing and speculation and all of that, which is typical, you know, it's mid Mid-November is usually when that pops up, mid-November to the beginning of December, and then it, like, dies off because nobody wants to do anything right before Christmas, usually. And then it picks back up, like, mid-January, particularly around the All-Star break. And then, so, I don't know that there's really going to be much more right now. Yes. 
I think a lot of teams are going to wait a bit, wait it out until like January. I I get that weird feeling. I don't know how much patience Jersey's going to have though, because they're like bottom bottom half of the conference, right? And I don't think they want to get too far behind. Because this is, you know, this is one of those years kind of for them. Sure, it's sort of a freebie. But, I mean, they're getting beat by the Caps. <laughs> you know, the Caps. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, they might be, they might be the, let's, let's get that firing in, like, mid-December before, before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know. I, my money is on the Islanders to be the next. But does Lou come back and coach? Of course he does. For one last ride. Of course he does. One last time. Because he gets results. He knows he gets results because he scares the living crap out of his players. No one wants to cross Lou. That and, you know, unless there's a, you know, a player or a coach that's done well, so like John Cooper, but not specifically John Cooper, um, you know, he, he's going to look around going, well, I, I'm better than the rest of these guys. I guess I'll take over until we find a, a, a guy, you know? So as I was, ye- I was going to say, as I was yelling at my computer, realizing, oh, they cannot hear me because I had technical difficulties. Um, my money's on Minnesota still. They gave the coach a trade, and he got Zach Bogosian to help make things better. <laughs> I, I, yes, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you, man. I was, I was doing my Tony Montana. Don't know what to tell you, Mung. So I'm just sort of crawling through. This is absolutely captivating, captivating um, podcasting. I was just sort of calling, crawling through the list of head coaches in the AHL. And you know whose name sticks out like a sore thumb? Disco Dan? Yep. Yep, indeed. Disco Dan Bilesma. Right, but will the Kraken let him go? Or do they want to keep him around when they get rid of Hackstall? Or do they get rid of Hackstall and then just, you know, promote him? The sooner the better. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, but new contract extension, yep. conservative GM. Who's pushing Francis to make that call? <sighs> A lie wiki. And and I know your favorite I know your favorite coach in the world, Pat. When the hell is Todd Nelson gonna get out of there? <laughs> Come on, let's go. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen him got the get the uh, Capitals gig. But you know, I, I understand that Carberry, he was the Hershey head coach before going to Toronto. Okay, they brought in someone that they knew. You know, letting Bilesma go to, say, the Islanders. Like, I see a fit there. Would that promote Jessica Campbell to head coach of the NHL yeah, yeah. team? Because if so... And it needs to be done. Is she uh, is she the next in line, or is the other, head co- or other assistant coach... I think it's a, think like it's a quarter flip three? on that one. Yeah. I mean, I know that the Seattle as a team would be more than willing to promote her. Don't get me wrong. It's not like most other teams that would be using her as a promotional tool. But, but you know, there's other factors, seniority and... Um, Behind closed doors, promises and such. So, Stu Bickle is uh, Coachella Valley's other assistant. So, he was a NAHL head coach. So, they're the junior league just behind the USHL. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a little work in NCAA. She worked the men's world championships and yes, yeah, so last guess she year. Would be next. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would guess she would probably be next then. She, she has worked more pro hockey. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, anybody that lets Jay Woodcroft sit around for too long is doing so at their own peril. Because, you know, granted, he's not won anything either, but you look at what Todd McCollin's done outside of, you know, the Edmonton fiasco where they basically gave him dog crap and told him to make steak tartare out of it. You know, I still am hoping the whole Jordan Biddington to Edmonton manifests itself just so like all the players become miserable and then they just take it out on the ice. Mm. And then they go back to winning six, three games somehow. It's not going to help anything, but it might make them entertaining a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good on you, Zach. <laughs> uh, oh, good God. 
asked about his career winning percentage and the coach playing and paying the price for it. We're in a win now. (laughs) Oh God. The time is now to try and win. Is 12 or 13 games enough? If you wait 10 more and things don't change, it's too late. We felt we had to do something now. Fire your goddamn goalie coach, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Coffee is going to be coaching the defense. You know... Did he play defense? I mean, I know he, that was his position. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. Uh, a a <laughs> little was, bit in the later years. Like, a little. Defensive guy. Ah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, again, I know that defender was his position, hockey hall of famer, et cetera, and so on. But did he actually play defense? <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember what a lot of people said about Gretzky's head coaching tenure? About why they deemed it was a failure? It's because he was trying to coach like he played, you know, and getting fr- people mm-hmm. would uh, people were assuming that you know he was like, well, why can't you do it this way? I can do this, you know, I did it this way, right? And that's kind of what I'm right. seeing. It's kind of what I'm I'm. I'm thinking is going to be like Paul Coffey trying to teach Darnell Nurse to to play Paul Coffey style. Now I know that's hyperbole and it's likely not going to happen. <laughs> I know, Sorry. I know, Cassie. I you know it, it. The words left my mouth and they were out there in the ether and being captured and. Glorious 44 kilohertz 16-bit audio, but... See, you can tell the guys who are going to be good coaches if they choose to go into coaching, if they're able to go into coaching after they retire, because those are the guys who are actually coaching their teammates, right? The guys who typically aren't good coaches just are off in their own little bubble and don't bother trying to coach their teammates because they they can do what they can do and they just assume that everybody's like them. Which is why most most of the time star players, guys who were very prominently on their teams, you know, accolades, et cetera, and so on, don't often turn out to be good coaches because they can't relate to the guys who are struggling and trying to make things work. Yeah, they've they've Okay, Cassie, I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Was Patrick Waugh a good coach? <sighs> you found the hole. You found the hole. Sorry, sorry to jump in, no, Cassie. No, he Yeah, no, 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 please. <laughs> yeah, he, he asked you the question. I will not answer you. <laughs> Patrick Waugh actually tried to help his fellow goaltenders when they were playing, when he was playing. Not maybe perhaps in games, but during practices and such. 
So he is a star. He was a star player, but he also was one of those guys who was out trying to help his teammates, you know, when they were in practice and after practice. Mm hmm. Is he a good so coach? I, He's a good junior coach, apparently, but is he a good NHL coach? I don't he he, he has a substantial ego to manage, so I, I you know. <laughs> so that that's that's kind of why I asked the question. I don't have a definitive answer. I think he knows how to teach the game beyond just goaltending, and that's why he was a successful a Junior head coach. I think he came to the NHL a little too early, as in his philosophy that he tried to implement that caused the avalanche to eventually tank and set them up for, you know, a Stanley Cup. It was just a few years too early because he was one of the first to advocate for man-on-man defense. Probably because, from a goalie's perspective, everyone is getting faster, but not enough teams could adapt. Now we're seeing this flip side, and it just had me. I was just going through that question in my head. I think he's a talented coach. Is he a good NHL coach? Yeah, I don't know. So here's here's the thing with Wa though: is Wa's an out of the box, outside the box thinker. Mm-hmm. And. Most of hockey frowns upon that sort of thing. Yeah. They don't like out-of-the-box people. They they want everything in the box, comfort zone, stay in comfort zone. Anything outside the comfort zone is bad, and so therefore, you know, doing that is bad. And so um, that, I think, is where it was his failures. He was trying to do too much too soon at the NHL level. Because he is he is an out of the box thinker, and he wanted to do drastic changes. If he had done it more incrementally, he might have had more success. But with you know, you have guys who've been playing for like you know since they were five, so like 20, 30 years, and they're all looking around, going, "But that's not what we were taught. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not what we're doing. That we can't be doing that. That's just too radical. We're not comfortable with that." You know, yeah, he's not going to have a lot of success at the NHL level. You're going to have guys at 15, 16, 17 going, oh, you're an NHLer. Do they do that in the NHL? Maybe we need to do that so we can be in the NHL. They're more open-minded about that sort of thing because they're still trying to make it. You know what the funny thing is to me, Cassie, about what you were saying? Mm -hmm. Is who who was largely the first coach that normalized pulling the goaltender like around the two to three minute mark when you're down a goal. And now how often do you see it done on a regular basis? So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you know how it is in hockey. They're all a bunch of I, I, I know, it's... you know, it takes one to do it and the one paid for it with his job type thing. Right. Yeah. And then right. everyone else goes, well, so long as I don't do the other stuff that he was doing, but I can do this one thing he was doing, I should be okay. Right. Um, but uh, d- sort of the whole overarching discussion is, you know, do the star players make good coaches? Well, generally no, unless, here's the big asterisk, unless they were goaltenders. Because they don't have the... 
they don't have in general the option of saying you you know like like a Gretzky or coffee or someone like that saying well just do what I did because you know to a defenseman or to a center or to a winger because they were a goaltender right. and right. also they have to pay attention to the entirety of the game for the entirety of the game they can't go shuffle mm-hmm. off and watch themselves on an iPad after each shift and, you know, basically sort of hum around and look at a few things and, you know, be like, Not in some cases, game. yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, there's a lot of caveats and, and holes in everything that I'm saying because, you know, life. Just remember, it's my freaking job to generalize, okay? I get paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Making maps is not about specifics. It's about generalizations. Anyway, so um, the problem is is that ultimately the, the former player has to be, be able to relate to the people that they're coaching. Well, that's why the former players that tend to make the best coaches are the guys that were the third and fourth liners because they had to work. Right. They didn't have the, right. the they had natural skill set or talent. You know, they had to earn every minute. Or they had to go through some sort of transition. Yeah, exactly. You know, they may have. Because so far you could look at Mar- Marty St. Louis as he built himself eventually into the MVP, but he wasn't always that player at the NHL le- level. No. He started at one level and then grew into it and then yeah. cascaded. You could look at Rod Brendamore. He did kind of the opposite. Came in in the early 90s, could put up a bunch of points, and then he went from first or second line player, graduated to a fourth line player. But then everyone else is that, you know, Craig Berube type. With the exception of Lindy Ruff, I think he's the enigma. Yeah, I mean, you get you get a few that you get like the very few that were very successful at you know in at their position, who end up being pretty good coaches, like Jacques Lemaire. <laughs> kind of pops to mind, um, but again, it's it's the guys have to be able to relate to what the other guys are, you know, have to do. And that's, that's, if you're a star player by and large, not everybody, but by and large, you just do what you do and you're good. You know, you don't have to think about it. And it's the third and fourth line players that have to think about it and have to like, you know, work on things and, and try to make it work and try things over and doing it a different way and changing and, you know, they're, they're constantly in flux and they're not just statically all I need to do is work out and play the way I normally play and I'm good. So um, Paul Coffey, I don't remember if he was a guy who actually was helping out his teammates. Um. I want to say yes, but again, I don't remember. <laughs> not for sure. I think early on, because of the high-flying 80s Oilers, meh. But I think later on, yes, 
because he became more of as his Paul coffiness declined and the game changed too. I, um, he did carve himself out a place going forward. You know, he went from sort of, if, if you're thinking in the generalities of like NHL hockey video games, you know, you've got your DFD, your two way or your two way D and your OFD. I think he went from an offensive defender to a, a two way defender. Um, mm-hmm. To your point, though, uh, the the phrase that just sort of came into my head while we were sort of talking about Martin St. Louis and Jacques Lemaire and those guys, they had to work harder to become superstars. Not yeah. that the superstars don't work hard to maintain their game and try and progress, but they, by and large, a lot of them came in as superstars in the making, you know, Mm -hmm. they had to progress to that level, but we're talking about guys who had to earn their way up to even the star level, work at it, and then work even harder to attain that superstar level. I don't know. Yeah. Trivia time. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Could you tell me how many penalty minutes did Paul Coffey have in his career? It was low. I want to say it was like 300. I was going to go with like under 600, but. And 1,409 regular season games played. He racked up (gasps) 1,800 penalty minutes. The other way with him. I made that mistake. I was shocked just because, you know, I was looking at his numbers just to see, Wow. okay, were there some ebbs and flows? Are we seeing him play lots of games with lots of teams? Like, he seemed to be traded a lot, and then I was just flummoxed when I saw that total. Because I was like, all right, let me look at these points. Wait, I'm looking at the wrong column. There are a lot of hundreds. (laughs) His first year in – or his second – yeah, his second year in Pittsburgh – 193 penalty minutes. That was their first couple of Mew, wasn't it? No, because he was there before the Cups. He got there in 87. Yeah, but okay, okay. Uh, I believe he put up 128 in their first Cup year. 128 penalty minutes. But he put up 130 in his rookie season too. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't going to back down. Man, you, people, you, that's you talk for sure. about you no. talk about things I've blocked he, out of my memory. That is it. <laughs> wow. Now, once you said that, I was like Paul Coffey, Paul, because I remember him on the wings on the Red Wings teams, mm-hmm. and they were kind of chippy. And he blended right into the chippiness. I didn't. I didn't mm-hmm. think about him being like, you know, the guy who didn't participate. No, he was right there with everybody else. So I was like, oh, right, right, Paul Coffey, right. Yeah, now I remember. Yeah. So I mean, you know, he didn't get into fights or anything very often. But um, but he also wasn't going to back down from that. Yeah. Stuff see, either. that's that's where I think that blind spot is for me because. 
you know, on a team that had Charlie Huddy and Randy Gregg and Dave Lumley and Dave Semenko, Paul Coffey ain't doing any fighting. No. And then you go to Pittsburgh on a team that had Kevin Stevens and, um, oh, God, now I can't remember. You know, the, he wasn't going to be doing a lot of fighting there. And when you got to Detroit, Scotty Bowman wasn't about the fighting, but you stood your ground. Right. It's like you, you stood yeah, up for yourself. Also, you didn't expect anyone else to stand up for you. You had to stand up for yourself. And I just always thought of him as being the hooking, holding, tripping kind. But no, he was he was the chippy. He was the slasher. chippy, like trying yeah. to get away with slashing hands kind, and like yeah, ankles and things. Yeah, he was he was the slashy. Let me let me. That is my a complete blind guy. spot in my uh in in uh, my memory bank. Obviously. Wow. Yeah, I didn't think about that until afterwards. I was like, wait, really? Oh yeah, no, now I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he didn't, he wasn't a regular fighter, but he also wouldn't have backed down from a fight. Which is not something you expect of Paul Coffey, obviously. One, but. one last thing, and we'll, <laughs> and we'll let everyone go. Um, Ken Holland on If the Players Leadership Group was consulted on the changes. I have talked over this past week with some of the veterans on our team. Jeff Jackson's, no, we didn't consult with players on this decision. Didn't speak with Connor or Leon or, and I'm not going to use it, Ryan or Darnell or any of the other leadership group. These guys are here to play hockey. They know that. Why did they just contradict each other? Because one did the talking and the other didn't. Because one didn't go to his former clients and the other one talked to his players. Mm-hmm. So they're using re and we in the royal we sense rather than in the uh, um, we as in all of us actually plan this out way. Jeff Jackson's been there three months. Can't wait to see. Either Ken that, Holland's been there four and a half years, and he has his third head coach. Either that, or or Ken Holland just reverted to the normal, like generic PR speak, and the other guy didn't. He just told the truth. There have been five head coaches in eight years, and they still have the same goddamn goalie coach. This has been the 3v3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.